keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace. Coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin, with a shout of welcome we will all march in. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. All right, there we go. We'll get it up and running here. We're set. <clears throat> okay, good. Looks like we're ready to roll. Again, we're certainly glad you could be here tonight, and as we uh, take the time to consider our vision night and our new theme, it's just always exciting to me to kick off a new year. I love New Year's, and I like the, the, just the uh, hope and the, the prospect of it all. Uh, I like the potential that a new year represents, and so tonight we're going to take a little bit of time, and we're going to get a chance to uh, consider that today. And um, so let's have a word of prayer and then we'll kick things off. Uh, it'll be a presentation tonight more than anything. Uh, there'll be uh, some Bible, obviously, a little bit here and there. Uh, but again, our goal tonight is to express the vision that we have for the year by introducing our new theme. And uh, so uh, it'll be a little bit different. Again, I don't usually use uh, PowerPoint to preach messages as a whole, but I think it'll be profitable if we can see things, not just hear them tonight, and I think it'll be helpful. So let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for these that have gathered tonight. Lord, as a, as a pastor of a church, Lord, this is an exciting night for me as I think about the opportunity that I now have, Lord, to convey, Father, a vision uh, that, Father, you've put on my heart, a desire and a need for us as a church to move forward into the coming year and Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would just embrace the vision, that we'd embrace this uh, theme. 
that, Father, we would allow our hearts, Father, to be knit together with uh, leadership, myself as well as others, and that together we would go forward for your glory and honor. Again, we thank you for all that you do for us, and we just ask that you'd fill us with your spirit tonight. May you fill me as I speak and help me, Lord, just to be able to convey truth, uh, convey truth in a way that, Father, is productive and positive and that, Lord, is truly inspiring, I pray and hope. And, Lord, may you just be glorified in it all. That's really what matters, and we want you to be magnified tonight. So, Lord, bless us not only tonight, but as we move forward into this coming year. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as we kick things off, uh, we want to talk a little bit about some memorable events. Of course, we had our soul-winning training this year. And, boy, when we come out of COVID, we had just a tremendous uh, group of people that made their way to the training. Uh, we were running 90-plus on Saturdays there in that training, and that was excellent. We saw 50 people become soul certified. It was a little bit more than that, but still, right around the 50 mark, that was exciting as well, because to be soul certified means that you have a good grasp on how to lead folks to Christ and can do so in a competent way, or at least you're moving, you're really, really close to it. If you feel a little bit like you need more practice, you probably do. We all do at all times, but the fact is, is that, boy, we had a good group of people that got certified and that we were very confident with sending out onto the streets and reaching out to people with the gospel. Then we had the choice. That was something new that we hadn't had in the past. And boy, it was a wonderful thing. It was totally different than anything we'd ever done in the way of plays or programs. And boy, I tell you what, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of people pulling together. And boy, it just turned out so wonderfully. We had good crowds here for that event. And we saw a number of visitors make their way here to Community Baptist Temple as a result of that. And again, this year, we're looking forward to the same thing in the month as we have uh, our, our big program again in the spring. And we're excited, looking forward to even more than ever visitors making their way to Community Baptist. Also, we had our spring promotion. And boy, that turned out well. Again, coming off of the soul winning training, we had a number of people that were making their way out into the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in, reaching out with the gospel. And we saw just a, a great amount of people going out. We saw a number of doors hit, and that was exciting as well. Then our vacation Bible school, of course, the year prior to that with the COVID, we limited it to just our church kids. This year, we opened it up to the bus kids again, and uh, we didn't see quite the numbers that we had in the past, but we saw good numbers, and uh, we expect to see even more this year as we move ahead again. And so we're excited about that. It turned out so well, and we thank the Lord for it. We uh, are looking forward to another successful BBS and one that truly makes an impact in lives. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody at the door that told me they had trusted Christ and received the Lord and uh, some of their first uh, uh, remembrances of church were at a VBS or something like this. And boy, it just made a difference in their life. And boy, we want to make a difference in all the lives we possibly can. This past year also, we did uh, something a little different. We kind of, uh, kind of had a 4th of July after thing. We, we knew there were going to be 4th of July. There, there were going to be a number of, uh, uh, of uh, displays, um, firework displays out, out in our parking lot. And so we thought we'd stick around a little bit. We had hot dogs and things like that, I believe. And, the fact, and what happened was is we realized a lot of people wanted to come here too to see the fireworks. We had an opportunity to pass out hundreds of tracks, and we look forward to doing that again this year as we run into the 4th of July, and we'll figure out when those days fall, and we'll make sure there are people here to pass out tracks and to make an impact there as well. And uh, so that turned out really good. That was exciting, the 4th of July fireworks after the, following the Sunday night service. That was a lot of fun this year. Then our missions conference turned out extremely well. We thank the Lord for the way it did turn out. 
Uh, we had just a, a good, uh, we had a good speaker. We had some really good um, uh, response. And again, we thank the Lord for just the uh, uh, faithful giving of God's people. Our family conference was something that we kind of uh, for, put into place uh, this year uh, as a result of uh, the years in past uh, missing out on a few things like our men's conference and our, our ladies' advance. And so we thought we'd put a, a family conference together. Well, we did that last year. It was such a huge success. We're going to do it again. We are going to plan on having our men's conference. We're planning on having our ladies' advance as well. But we want to maintain and continue with our family conference. And so those are some of the things, the memorable events of this past year. <clears throat> also, we had some victories this year, and I count them victories. And uh, sometimes they're not always just, just spiritual victories, but they kind of go together with spiritual victories. I thought our soul winning restart alone was already a victory. That was good to get back on track, get everybody out and about. Then not only that, but our parking lot being resurfaced and paid for. I notice I put paid for. That's always big too, and that's nice. And uh, I thought that was a tremendous victory because it was a major undertaking. And uh, thankfully for the faithfulness of God's people and just the Lord providing for us and meeting needs, we were able to do that. And I feel like that's a victory. Can't tell you how many churches have gone into debt for something like that. And we thank the Lord that he provided us the finances to get the job done. And then we got a new fleet of buses. Now, that may not seem like a lot to most people unless you're in the bus ministry. But if you're in the bus ministry, you're going, thank the Lord for those new buses. And boy, if you're a driver especially, you're really liking it. And uh, they really run well. They're, very, they're much more up to date. And uh, we thank the Lord for those buses. We bought six buses. We paid $42,000. And we were able to get those, and of course those are paid for as well. But uh, we were able to replace the whole fleet. You see some of the buses sitting out there, those aren't the new ones, those are the old ones. And we're selling those, we're getting rid of all of those. And uh, so that's exciting, and we're looking forward to moving ahead now in our bus ministry as well. So what about our theme? That's the real question. And of course this guy, he's kind of figured it out. You know, he's given it some real thought. You can tell by the finger on the jaw there. And... Uh, He's, he's probably thinking a lot about what you are. What about our theme? You know, where are we going with this? What's going to be our new theme for 2022? Well, before we talk about our theme, I want to talk about our nation for just a few minutes. And I want to address just a couple of things. Matthew Spaulding, he was author of, a, 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 of We Still Hold These Truths, Rediscovering Our Principles, Reclaiming Our Future. He says, of the many influences that shaped the American concept of liberty, the first and most formative was faith. Indeed, America was the first country in all history that was deliberately formed to protect and promote religious freedom. You know, our founders rightly noted that the people didn't, didn't give the freedom, that it wasn't people that, that provide freedom. It's God that does that. God gives us freedoms. God's the one that, that does that. And you know, uh, what a wonderful thing it is uh, as a nation that we are a nation that uh, was begun in seek of religious freedom. In 1620, pilgrims seeking to practice Christianity within their own political, uh, political community, they wrote the Mayflower, uh, Mayflower Compact. Now, as their new colony was established, they said this. They said, it was established for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's why they came to America. America's history is unique in that Again, our founders designed a government to protect our God-given rights. See, that's what the purpose, the government was, was designed to protect our God-given rights. That protection is eroding at an alarming rate, and Christian influence that once prevailed in our nation is rapidly fading. 
Is America still a Christian nation? That's a good question, isn't it? If the term simply means a majority of the population that will claim to be Christian uh, when a pollster calls, well, then maybe we're still a Christian nation. But as a new Pew Research report explains, the decline of Christianity in the United States continues at a rapid rate. 65% of Americans now say they're Christians, down from 78% as recent as 2007. Ranks, the ranks of the religiously unaffiliated, the nuns as they often call them now, have swelled from 16 to 26% over the same amount of time. That's rather alarming. I don't know about you, but that's alarming. At this rate, the United States will, will, be, uh, uh, will be majority non-Christian by about 2035, with the nuns, those that are religiously unaffiliated, representing well over one-third of the population. I, I'm telling you, we are not headed in a good direction as a nation when it comes to Christianity. A 2021 Gallup poll said U.S. church members dipped below 50% for the first time. 47% of Americans say, uh, said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque in 2020. Again, that was down from 50% just in 2018. Why does all that matter? Well, it's the first time in eight decades that Gallup has tracked the trend that the majority of Americans do not belong to church. It was all the way back when Billy Sunday was still preaching the gospel that we saw this amount of, that we saw the kind of uh, church attendance that we, we, the 73% that they had once had, the 78% that they had once talked about. Membership at places of worship was 73% when Gallup first measured in 1937. I've seen some say that it was even higher than that. It stayed near that range for six decades again before dipping in 2000. So up to the year 2000, for almost 60 years, it had stayed consistent. Preaching like Billy Sunday and others throughout the years uh, maintained a, a nation that was sensitive to the things of God. But sadly enough, over these last 20 years, we have seen the banner dropping. We've seen people moving away from God, church, from the faith. Here's some important details to keep in mind. The trend was associated with age. For instance, 66% of people born before 1946 said they belonged to a church. Okay, those people belonged to a church. The figure was only 58% for baby, baby boomers and 50% for people of Generation X. Only 36% of millennials said they belonged to a church. Those born between 1981 and 1996, only 36%. I want you to notice again, 66% of those born before 1946, 58% of baby boomers born between 1965 and 80, and only 36% of millennials. That's an alarming trend. That means that the generations that are coming up behind us are not more faithful or more in search of truth, but they seem to be more misled and misguided than ever. Some sad ramifications of all of this. The declining impact of traditional Christian teaching on social mores. That's one of the ramifications. There's a, a declining impact 
of traditional Christian teaching on social mores, meaning that the morals of our country, our nation, and our society are not being influenced or impacted like it did before from traditional Christian teaching. The redefinition of marriage, relationships in the family. As a result of the fact that people are moving away from God and the Word of God and truth, we're seeing ourselves in a position where we're redefining what marriage is, relationships are, and what family is. There's a rapid movement away from orthodox Christian teaching. Again, we noted that a little bit in the first portion where it said a declining impact, but we're saying it up there at number one that the traditional teaching is not impacting the culture, but not only that, but it's, we're also rapidly moving away from it. That's scary. Young people increasingly see science as a challenge to the teachings of the Bible today. They look at science and say, well, maybe science does know something more than the Bible. Maybe somebody with a PhD in front of their name is smarter than just somebody that calls themselves a reverend. Maybe my mom and dad aren't as smart as they, as, as parent, you know, they don't see their parents as smart as some of the generations before did. Well, i tell you what, it's sad because, again, young people increasingly see science as a challenge to the teachings of the Bible. I wonder where they're getting that. The rise of tolerance as the ultimate value in society versus religious notions of absolute truth. I mean, that's one of the ramifications of what we're seeing, this departure from the, from the church, this departure from God, from Christ, from a relationship, from the Word of God. There's a rise of tolerance as the ultimate value in society. We can't deny that. We've seen that over the last few, few years. Where tolerance is the name of the game. Absolute truth, well, we want nothing to do with it. <clears throat> the courts continue to chip away at religious influence and symbolism in the public square. Schools are no longer educating, but indoctrinating. The mainstream media promotes the anti-God agenda, which is reshaping minds and the attitudes of Americans. These are some of the ramifications. Churches cater to the changing norms and values of society instead of embracing the old landmarks. We are quickly moving away from what we used to call traditional separation. We're throwing it out the window. We're throwing everything away that we used to build our lives upon. And now we say it's time to rethink all of that because there must be a better way. I don't think there is a better way. <clears throat> what I believe is that it's like everything else in life. Everybody's always looking for something new but it's always the old and proven that works best. You can go ahead and change marriage all you want, but until you get back to traditional biblical marriage, you're done. You, I'm just saying there's things that just should not change, and we are changing things today because we believe we know better than God. Some alarming trends. In September of 2021, three California parents sued the public school system in order to prevent students from having to recite prayers to Aztec deities that have been worshipped with human sacrifice. Now again, this was going on in California schools. They were providing chants and prayers to these Aztec gods. And they were telling them, this is part of your curriculum. You need to pray these prayers. You need to chant these chants. 
The blatant inconsistencies of our society toward Christianity is becoming more clear, I think. They condone the study of, the worship of, the encouragement of other faiths and religions, but they condemn the same when it comes to Christianity. It's amazing. You can't talk about Christianity in school. You can't support it. You can't encourage it. You can't move toward it. But boy, you can certainly have somebody praying a prayer to an Aztec God or a Muslim prayer. There's something wrong in America. In a Time.com article in May of 2021, it's called The Growing Anti-Democratic Threat of Christian Nationalism in the U.S. Basically, conservative Christians, well, excuse me, the article defines Christian nationalism, by the way, as, quote, political theology that fuses American identity with an ultra-conservative strain of Christianity. But this Christian, now hold on, before you say, well, well there you go, ultra, hold on, because they take that term and drop it before it's over with, by the way. So the article, again, it defines this Christian nationalism as a, quote, political theology that fuses American identity with an ultra-conservative strain of Christianity. But this Christianity is something more than the orthodox Christianity of ancient creeds. It is more of an ethnic Christianism. It is most extreme, in its most extreme form, it legitimizes the type of violence we saw on January the 6th and the recent flood of voting restrictions. Violence and legislation, uh, violence and legislation not in service of democracy, but instead for fundamentally anti-democratic goals. Hold on, they're not done yet. Again, conservative Christians, according to them, are a threat because they contone violence that undermines our democratic goals. That's what they're saying. I still want to understand whose goals they are and what the goals are. What are the real goals? And do we, I mean, are they our goals? I'm not sure. They go on to clarify their definition of Christian nationalism. They say, it is important to note that by Christian nationalists, we don't necessarily mean all white, theologically conservative Christian groups. But they do, by the way. In fact, we show in our, our book, and there's, they're, they're, they're have an article as a result of a book that had been written. In fact, we show in our book that traditional indicators of religious commitment and Christian nationalism oft-time influence people in opposite directions. The threat generally comes from Christian nationalism embraced by many conservative Christians. See, they dropped the ultra now. Embraced by many conservative Christians as well as non-Christians rather than from all committed Christians. Oh boy, if you read that and you understand what they're saying, they are setting us up for a big fall here. Now listen to what they said. The threat generally comes from Christian nationalism, embraced by many conservative Christians as well as non-Christians rather than from all committed Christians. Hmm. So let me think here. Let's, let's try to figure this out for a minute. They, ide- they identify three groups in their clarification. The three groups are conservative Christians, non-Christians, and committed Christians. So the conservative Christians, along with other non-Christians, represent a threat to society and democracy, they're saying. They point out, however, that you can be a committed Christian and still be a good American. 
The threat to our democracy, however, are these conservative Christians and those who embrace their beliefs. Listen, you, you, I'm telling you, mark my words. They believe the real threat today to our democracy are the conservative Christians and those who embrace their beliefs. I have this sneaking suspicion that the beliefs they are primarily threatened by are biblical beliefs. You can't be a good American and not embrace homosexuality today. You cannot oppose transgenderism and not say to those people, it's perfectly fine. You're no different. We're no different. We're all the same. Your lifestyle is just as God-ordained and loved as mine is, according to the Bible. We're all equal in that sense. God doesn't see you as being in any kind of sin at all. You're fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. If you don't have that view because that's what they're pushing, that's the agenda of our political movement, then you are a threat to the democracy of America. I'm telling you, we are in a dangerous place today in Christianity, and it is not going to get any better as we move forward. Somebody is going to have to do something about this. It's interesting to note that America became the greatest nation on earth because of Christian ideals and principles, but today it seems to me that Christianity that embraces those same ideals and principles is considered a threat to our democracy. That makes sense to me. And I bring this up because over the last two years, if we have learned anything about our culture and our society, we've learned that the general population can be manipulated and molded by the powers that be and the mainstream media. Hey, listen, don't, don't kid yourself. Those same forces that are promoting the fear-mongering of a pandemic, the debatable cat- catastrophic effects of global warming, and the irrational fear of police and white Americans toward people of color are the same ones who can sway the hearts and minds of Americans against biblical Christians. Now, I know that may be a mouthful to you, but I am watching how the media and how our leaders are manipulating the minds and telling people what is right and wrong and redefining what truth is. They can redefine what the real threat is. They can tell you, you need to be afraid of this. You shouldn't be afraid of this. You just need to depend on this. Don't depend on that. And people are like sheep. They are following left and right. Let me tell you what. If they want to turn them against us, they can do it like that. Here's some takeaways that I have as a result of all of this. The culture is rapidly becoming more and more anti-Christian. Christianity is being redefined by the media and the political left now. Can you imagine if the, 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 the media continues to say, conservative Christianity is the threat. Conservative Christianity is the threat. And you go to somebody and say, listen, I'm a Baptist. They go, you're one of those conservative Christians. You're the threat to our democracy. You're the reason why our nation's falling apart. The number of those associating with religion of any type is declining quickly. We see that in all the polls. With the decline of religion in general will come a lack of sympathy toward Christianity. As we see less and less people involved in church, less and less people believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to see less sympathy toward believers, toward Christianity in general. 
Religious liberty will be viewed as a weapon directed toward a changing society that believes itself to be the hope of all. See, what's, what's happening is, is that all of a sudden those religious liberties, you, you having a right to stand and say what you believe to be truth and standing and saying what God's word says, that's going to be considered a threat again. See, because that's going to be a weapon to a society that says we are a changing and evolving in a very progressive society. We're the hope. You have to be progressive and you have to embrace all and you have to do it this way or you are the enemy of change and you are the enemy of our future and our hope of democracy. Sad, isn't it? We'll be, it'll be a weapon now. So they'll be able to take it away from you. You won't have First Amendment rights because it's a weapon now. And we've already heard some people saying those things in the, in the media and in our government right now that we should limit what certain people say if it is, involves hate, if it's not acceptance of others, if there's anything that would somehow offend someone, you should not have the liberty to say it or the right to. It should not be protected under the First Amendment. Mm, those are dangerous statements because they're playing right in the hand of what the Antichrist plans to do. Our political leaders and cultural strongholds, our media, <laughs> will continue to bind us with chains while telling us that we're more free than ever. You're more free than ever. Really? We are? The inevitable end will be a pessimistic and antagonistic view of Christianity in general. A.W. Tozer said, To be right with God is often meant to be in trouble with men. I think it's important to remember that as believers today. Finally, the believer will be considered as the enemy of both democracy and the American way of life. That's a problem. By the way, the cancer of Christianity will have to be eradicated. It'll have to be eradicated. Now again, this is all the result of, as I'm talking about, as we move away from organized religion, as we say to ourselves, we don't need faith, we are unaffiliated, we don't need Christ, we don't need the Bible, we don't need God, we're good without Him, our society is enough, we can build a tower that reaches heaven without it. The danger is that Christianity ultimately becomes the cancer that will have to be eradicated then. Even as the early church was viewed as the enemy of the Roman Empire, so modern-day Christianity will be viewed more and more as a threat and enemy of our nation and its way of life. So what does all this have to do with our theme, you say? All this good news. I'm a very positive person. I like to see things from a positive perspective. I have to admit I'm still a realist and I see things the way they really are. But on the other hand, I also know the God we serve. And although those things that I've already recently spoke of just a moment ago are true in my mind and I believe we'll find traction as we move forward in our future here in America, I still have tremendous hope. What's this have to do with our theme? Well, as our world becomes increasingly anti-Christ and more and more void of God, our responsibility to stand for the cause of Christ becomes more and more critical than ever. Amen. 
We're going to have to have the armor of God. We're going to have to continue to stand. If anybody, if, if, if we don't stand, I'm telling you, they're going to run over everything. Even the most carnal Christian cannot help but see that this, the seriousness of our situation today and recognize the truth is being executed on the guillotine of public opinion. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what truth is. All that matters is how people view it. Again, we've already said that absolute truth is ceasing to exist in our culture. Why is that? Because of public opinion. Public opinion is determining now what truth is, not the word of God. Doesn't matter what God says. All that matters is what we believe. That makes it truth. I create my own truth today. We have politicians creating their own truth. We have doctors claiming to have all the truth and know all the science, creating their own truths. We see it in front of our faces all the time today. We have teachers that have the truth. We have preachers that have the truth, and they create their own truth outside of the Word of God. As the darkness of unbelief grips our nation, as sin infects the masses and death takes hold on the lost, and believers in which the Spirit of God dwells as believers, we must be more convinced than ever that the only hope that exists in this generation is that God's people return to their sole purpose. Their sole purpose. That's a play on words, I know. That's our theme this year. We have to return to our sole purpose. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave this, he had just uh, was preparing to ascend back to be with the Father. And he says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, I'm not going to be witnesses unto myself. I'm not going to go share what I believe. I'm not going to share what a, a, a group of preachers believes or what a, a church believes. What matters is what Christ says because we're witnesses of him, unto him. It's his word. It's his truth. It's his reality that matters. And our purpose is a sole purpose. Again, the Lord had ascended, leaving the disciples with a promise and a purpose. And that promise was, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Why did they need the power of the Holy Spirit? What was the purpose of all of that? So that they could learn the Bible well and they could have wonderful Bible studies? So that they could gather together in the confines of a building and continue to grow each other and strengthen each other and encourage one another and leave it there? Not at all. Matter of fact, the purpose and the reason for the power that we desperately need of the Holy Spirit in our life, yes, helps us to live the Christian life for the purpose, the express purpose of being witnesses unto Him. Everything that we do at Community Baptist Temple ought to be ultimately equipping and preparing people for the express purpose of witnessing and sharing Christ with the world. Jesus left them with a sole purpose. Some may say, well, our purpose is to glorify God. And I would say, I agree. I agree 100%. But how better to glorify him than by obeying his last command to evangelize the world? How better to, to glorify him, 
to honor his name than to spread it abroad. How better to glorify the creator of the universe than by telling the entire creation about him? When God's children are empowered with the Holy Spirit and become the witnesses he called us to be, God is glorified and exalted in all the earth. And the last command given should be our first priority. Like those disciples of old, we find ourselves facing mounting odds amidst the secularization of both society and the church, by the way. It's not just society that's being secularized. It's the church. The hope of our nation and its future is Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. It is Christ. There is no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life than in him and through him. He is the answer to the problem that we face today in America. And whether America ever gets back on its feet or not, whether America makes a turnaround or not, you and I need him first and foremost in our lives too. Those disciples of old faced terrible odds, did they not? And yet the Bible tells us they evangelized the world. They did not do that simply sitting around in home Bible studies. They may have attended them, and the Bible says daily and in every house they met together. But then they walked out of the door of that place as witnesses. You don't, you don't win a, a, a city. You don't win a nation. You don't find the world transformed and turned upside down, as they said about Jason and those that had visited him, unless you are witnesses and fulfilling the command and the purpose that God left us to do. We must fulfill our sole purpose if we want to obey our Heavenly Father, if we want to impact our society, our sinful society, if we want to rescue the sin-sick soul, we must fulfill our sole purpose. Again, God left us here in order to share His Son with all the earth. Ye shall be witnesses. His desire is that all should come to repentance. So how can we gauge our success at fulfilling our sole purpose then? Through contacts, I believe. And a contact is going to be defined as an interaction that ends with the gospel being placed into the hands of another person. And not just physically in their hand, but if you give the gospel to somebody, that's considered a contact. If you pass out a tract, that would be a contact. I have five ways we're going to try to track our progress and our, 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 our success, if you will, of fulfilling our sole purpose as a church this year. First of all, door-to-door. Our goal is to hit 20,000 doors door-to-door. 20,000 doors. We're going to have to work at that. We've got some room. This past year, we only knocked on about 10,500 doors. We're going to shoot for 20, and I believe we can easily make it if we put our minds together, if we strive together, if we have a mind to work, and if we remember our sole purpose. Bus prospecting. As our bus captains and our workers go out into the highways and hedges from time to time seeking riders, they'll take time during promotions and other times to knock on extra doors. Our captains are supposed to knock on doors every week. And they're out there knocking extra doors. 
They're putting tracts and material in the hands of people. Even when they don't have a bus rider, they're getting the gospel in the door. That's a contact. Putting the gospel into the hands of another. Tract distribution. We're going to focus attention on passing out tracts this year. In our congregation, as well as in our Sunday schools, we're going to make it an emphasis. Hey, let's be passing out tracts this week. Let's get them into the hands of of our our waiter. Let's get them into the hands of our our friends and our family. Let's get them into the hands of those that are uh, at the drive-thru window. We want to pass out tracts. We want to get the gospel into the hands of people in America. Listen, America is going in the wrong direction. What they need is Jesus Christ. They need to be reminded that God's still the answer. Maybe we can slow this trend down. Maybe we can even turn it around, but it won't happen unless we get Christ out there. Then we're going to have our pass-outs like we've had in the past. Again, not too long ago, we had a pass-out in the fall, and we were fortunate to see you know, anywhere from, I think, five to 6,000 passed out in one time, and I believe we can make even anywhere from seven to 10,000 passed out on, a one, on any given Saturday. We're going to have three to four of those this year and seek to reach our goal of 25,000. We're going to have our couriers that are going out on a consistent, regular basis as well. And we're shooting for 10,000 for them. All of these total 70,000 contacts during the year. As a church, we want to reach out with the gospel and put it into the hands of people at least 70,000 times this year. Amen. And again, someone says, well, you can't gauge the success. We're, listen, we can't gauge the success of anything except we can look at our numbers and say, we have done the work, now it's up to God to bring the increase. Right. If we're going to honor God, we'll... We're only going to do so in obedience to his word and his will. And I wonder, will you and I be the witnesses that God commanded us to be? No matter the obstacles, will we, like the disciples, carry the gospel to the ends of the earth? Think about what they faced every day. We are facing a changing world, a world that continually seems to be slipping more and more into darkness. They need the light of the Word of God. They need the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer meetings are important, but we have to put feet to prayer too. We've got to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. In a Montana county, in Montana county, uh, uh, in a Montana county, excuse me, in 2018, police received reports of a man that was acting strange and he was threatening people even. Francis Carlton Crowley was 32 years of age. He had left the area by the time the Missoula County Sheriff's Office deputies arrived. Even more concerning, however, was a five-month-old baby boy that was left in Crowley's care that hadn't been seen for several hours. When deputies finally located Crowley, he appeared to be intoxicated. And he made all kinds of statements indicating that the baby might be buried somewhere in the mountain. And that's when local search and rescue officers, as well as members of the United States Forest Service, came together and began to look for the missing infant. 
after more than six hours of searching on foot, a deputy heard a faint cry of a baby. He began to follow that sound and listen very closely, and he finally was led to a pile of sticks and debris. Uncovering the debris, he found a baby face down, but alive. Thankfully, somebody was searching that day. And somebody heard its cry. There are scores of folks buried in sin, sorrow, and suffering today. They're everywhere. But unless we're searching for them, we will never hear their cry. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In 2022, as a church and as individual Christians, let us make up our minds to, one, recognize our soul purpose. To exercise our soul purpose. To prioritize our soul purpose. We're now boarding. And I wonder how many will get on board. Because we are living in a world of darkness. And the only hope they have is Jesus Christ. We can continue to believe that just putting a smile on our face and walking around in our communities will be enough. It is not enough. We're going to have to open our mouth and be witnesses. We're going to have to pass out the tracts and the gospel. We're going to have to give truth to people, not just simply try to live truth. We must give truth. We can't dismiss the lifestyle, but we can't depend upon it solely either. We have got to be witnesses, as God said we must be. Soul purpose. Soul purpose. And ye shall be witnesses. I believe today that churches have gotten away from their soul purpose. I believe today that Pastors have gotten away from their sole purpose. And I believe today that Christians have gotten away from their sole purpose. I want to just say that as a leader today, as your pastor, I want our church to make 70,000 contacts. I want our church to be a light in a dark world. I want us all to see the fruit of being a faithful witness this year. I want some of you to win your first soul ever, and I want some of you to win 10 souls this year. And not only see the souls won, but spend the time it takes in prayer, in weeping, in fasting if necessary, to see them in those waters. It will not be a program or plan that gets them there. 
it'll be God's spirit working and moving in their life. We've got to be willing to count the cost and then pay the price. Our sole purpose. That's our theme. I wonder, will you get on board today? The flight's boarding. We're going to be taking off. Let's get on board with our sole purpose. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, just for all you do for us. We are grateful, Father, for just the privilege of being a part of your family. But, Lord, with that privilege comes responsibility. Lord, I know in my own life I haven't been the sole 